0: ...that liquid water exists on Mars. The proposed lake sits beneath the red planet's south polar ice cap. It's the first sign of a persistent body of water on the planet. The discovery was made by radar instrument Mars's on board the Mars Express Orbiter. Lake beds like those prove that water was present on Mars in the past. But since then, the planet's climate has cooled due to its thin atmosphere, leaving most of its water locked up in ice. And a bit of sports. Fans around the world have chosen the best goal of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. The winner is Benjamin Pavard and his incredible strike against Argentina Argentine, uh, in, in the round of 16. Around 3 million people took part in the online vote on the FIFA's official website. The French defender became the first European player to win the gold of the Tournament Accolade since its creation in 2006. Traffic. Now, it's currently... Traffic is currently rated 3 points out of 10 on Moscow's roads, according to our interactive map. Uh, driving time to Domodedova Airport from the city centre is around 1 hour and 30 minutes and under an hour to get back into central Moscow. Driving time to Vnukovo airport is over 1 hour and 40 minutes getting back to the city, and you'll spend about 50 minutes on your way to and from Sheremetyeva. It's plus 29 degrees Celsius in Athens, plus 13 in Anchorage and plus 35 in Cairo. It's plus 20 degrees Celsius here in Moscow. Tomorrow, temperatures will rise to plus 27 degrees Celsius. That's all for now. I'm Karen Wolski in the studio. Stay with us. Capital M,
1: Moscow. <laughs> <K-5M>, Capital <Moscow. laughs> Sports with Alan Moore.
2: Good evening, listeners. You know that sound, and everybody knows what's going to start off this weekend, of course, kicking off on Friday evening on the 27th in Novgorod is the Super Cup final, or Super Cup, sorry, game between Lokomotiv Moscow and Siskar Moscow, which was the start of the Premier League season so it's the start of basically football this year in Russia well not quite we've just finished one one set of uh, football games and now we're starting off the Russian Premier League so no rest for the wicket right we're going to cover that a little bit later on with our studio guest Nikita Osokin and um, you know and we'll also have a look at the European side or the uh, Russian sides who are playing in the Europa League and the Champions League because we know who 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 is going to play who just a little bit we'll have a little look at the Tour de France which is beginning to reach a climax Um I said we'll have that chat with uh, Nikita Osokin and also have a look at at the World Cup Legacy. Now, while we will have updates from the League qualifiers right now, they're, well, they're about to kick off quite soon because we have a, a kind of, let's say, fallen giants like Ajax Amsterdam and Glasgow Celtic are in their qualifying. Celtic, of course, playing Rosenborg tonight and Ajax Amsterdam playing Stormgrad. Celtic, of course, will be playing an Irish team should they get through that game. OK, uh, before we, we do all of that and all the kind of the nice stuff, the proper sports stuff we're going to have you know kind of we're going to touch on a hot topic with two excellent people first up in this segment <clears throat> we'll have excuse me we'll have Cahal denny who is an irish-based journalist and right after that then we'll have rennie and shirley in the second segment who of course was the person who blew the whistle on some rather uh, odd goings on in jamaican sports and jamaican anti-doping mm-hmm. um because this t- t- this morning we had a very very strange tweet yet yet again from Serena Williams where she said that uh, you know another day and another you know. Uh doping test and she's kind of like you know she's trying to make it that she's the most tested athlete in sport most tested athlete in tennis and so on and as we've, we we see with uh donald trump you know uh we, we we kind of figure out that like that's not always quite true um so we are going to to uh speak with uh as i said with kohal hopefully we get him online quite soon and uh, renee and shirley a little bit later on about that but before we do we're going to bring in into the uh the conversation uh, with Cahill Daily but before we do we're going to ask Sorry, um, Nikita Dostokhan who's joined us a little bit earlier he's going to ask Nikita before we go any further with the the doping situation uh, was that the best goal was that the best goal that was scored in the World Cup the one that was
3: announced well first of all a big hello to all our Capital FM listeners Uh, hello to Alan thanks for the invite again you're welcome Nikita Um, in terms of the goal look I'm not an expert on like uh, the athletic part of, of the game, and you know that and I'm always skeptical about this. So I guess, as a football fan, uh, I would say that the goal against Argentina and uh, what it meant for the for the French team at, at that time, because the France was trailing at the point yeah, when it was scored. It was one of those pivotal moments of the tournament for the France. So I think it's well deserved to be the best goal of the tournament. Now, before we before we go uh,
2: to talk about doping, with Carl, this this World Cup, I mean. Um, where were, were France the deserving winners? We discussed it last week, but were they the, the deserving winners?
3: Well, uh, I g- guess if you give it an economic context and economic background, I think uh, France's win is more logical than, I guess, against Croatia's win because of the level of the grassroots development they have, the, the amount of. Uh, attention to give out to uh, the youth development, player development. So I think that oh, the French football development system is one of, uh, of the leading in Europe and in the world. So I guess it's well-deserved at this point.
2: Okay. I, I, do you think it's, like it's, it's a good situation that they actually uh, were able to like, bring these young, like, mix these young players through? Because there were kind of doubts uh, like, over some of the players, like Paul Pogba and so on, that they would never really break it. But he seemed to be one of the you know, the, the outstanding stars of the tournament.
3: Well, yeah, I guess it was uh, uh, the best mix of experience ver- versus the young guys that they have. And I guess the upcoming generation of the French team, it, I guess it's it's kind of scary. I mean, when you know that most of those players are not not older than 25, 24 years old. So
2: That's the thing. They're amazing. And they've all come up winning titles and underage together for the French team as
3: well. Yeah, and Pogba was the um, U19 World Cup, a best player, or U17, right. something like that. So it, it's just a big generation of players that have been playing together for the last almost 10 years I guess and they've got four years ahead of them at least so at least for the next World Cup or at least for the next four years we're definitely going to see France as a top contender well for at the least top they top get place. out of the group the next World Cup we hope well, don't jinx it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I think you always uh, said the same thing to, uh, about Germany four years oh, yeah, ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I figured that Germany would have a bad one this one, but anyway, we'll, we'll move on very quickly. So right now we're going to go across uh, all the way to Ireland. where I've actually just, just returned from Ireland uh, earlier hours this morning after a long, long, long flight uh, via Athens where it was just scorching hot. And while I was in Athens, I had meetings about uh, doping and anti-doping and use of painkillers, but we'll have that at a bit of a later date uh, when we have the, the final uh, report done on that. Um, now, right now I'm delighted to have him on the line uh, was, he's a man who unlike me did not forget his uh, mother's birthday and he's about to go to dinner with her and the family so um I, I should say he's, well first say he's a very very good journalist who writes without fear or favour and that is a rare and precious commodity and va- value in this world um, his article a couple of weeks ago on Serena Williams really really opens your eyes so uh, we're going to tweet it out in the show a little bit later so I would advise anyone who wants to see you know kind of what athletes go through and what they should kind of have, be a bit more aware of uh, definitely uh, this man has covered it so from Ireland we're going to welcome onto the Capital Sports Show for the first time Mr Cahal Denny, Cahal how are you doing? Very good, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Listen, I, I, I've been—I I should say—I've been a long time kind of admirer of your work, and uh, the the one with Serena really, it, as I said, it opened my eyes because you know, very very infrequently do we have journalists who are brave enough and also actually do enough research to put things down in a timeline and kind of speak the truth. Um, of course. I know you would have had to clear it with, with uh, John, the editor, and so on, but um, how, how did you kind of put it all together? How did you come through all the information for it? Just tell our listeners.
4: Yeah, I
5: suppose in relation to the Serena Williams story I wrote recently, it was much a case of the truth, I suppose, in Before Your Eyes, and it's online in terms of the statistics and in terms of her approach to Sophie. Now, Sir Williams is, without doubt, the greatest tennis player of all time, uh, certainly, female tennis player overall of all time. She has had a curious relationship and doping down through the years, whereby just a few, I suppose, instances in 2011. Esther is drunk- just call.
2: Carl, just one moment. We're go- we're- Carl, we're going to give you a quick call back because we're kind of breaking up on the line just a little bit. So we're going to give you a call back in just two seconds, okay?
5: And ended up.
2: OK, so uh, just, just before we go on to that, just uh, the, the, the line was like pretty awful. We're not getting the, the, the best out of uh, Cahill right now. And um, <clears throat> I'll just say, the, the tweet this morning that she, she put out, uh, Serena put out, was uh, dot, dot, dot. And it's that time of the day to get randomly, in, in inverted commas, drug tested and only test Serena. Out of all the players, it's been proven find the one getting tested the most. Discrimination? Question mark. I think so. At least I'll be keeping the sport clean. She put a very unfortunate hashtag. Hashtag stay positive, you know. I mean, what Serena can test positive for, we don't know. But of course, she had this litany of offences, and you know, this kind of self awareness that you expect from a, a woman of thirty six, she doesn't quite seem to have it. Um, and of course, as soon as she put it out, a lot of people kept were coming in saying, like, you know, um, you no, know, we're so proud of you. You've done so well, and uh, you know, it, it sort of, it sort of like kept it going. We've got, Cahill, you're back on the line with us.
5: Hi, Alan. Apologies, Dublin here, and the cars everywhere, and people everywhere. So the reception is a little empty.
2: Well, listen, we'll, we'll try our best to get through. Look, um, listen, just just answering, just answering it back, uh, or I'm getting answered. So, is is Serena? Is she tested too much? Call.
5: In short, no. Um, Serena Williams is, as I said, the greatest tennis player of all time. She's earned $84 million dollars in prize money. Last year, between prize money and four, she's earned $27 million. And on average, she tested between about, I would say, between about 10 times a year, which may sound no, like say, say again, amount to about one a month. Well, and so, okay. really, if an athlete were the dope, that's not sufficient that you're, you'd have to get very lucky to catch an athlete. So there are amateur athletes, I know, amateur cyclists, runners, gymnasts, swimmers boxers even, that will be tested more than that. You know, they might be in the Olympics, but people who earn probably less than 1% of the amount from sports that Serena Williams would earn. An example of that would be Molly Huddle, an American distance runner who most people, with good reason, would never have heard of because she's never won a global medal, never won an Olympic medal. She was tested 74 times by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency in recent years. Serena Williams, for a much longer spell, by comparison, has been tested of 41 times. And so for twice the amount of time she's been tested, half the amount of a relatively unknown American distance runner. So when you hear Serena Williams complain that she's being tested too much, it really does not, it does not ring true when you look at the statistics.
2: But well, I mean, Carl, that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, you know, you've you've written about it, and you've written it very very fairly. I sh- I have to add about the Russian situation, um, because we like we we've always been calling it here on the show, and I've always called it personally that you know that Russia has had and still has uh, issues around doping and trying to like you know get rid of it from from the the, the whole sports system here. Um, they are trying, of course, they are making great steps. But I mean, we we've seen it everywhere. When I was home in Ireland this past weekend, I was talking with GAA players who are using substances that, you know, are not that uh, healthy for them in the long run. So, I mean, what is the global anti-doping system uh, doing about this, and is it fit for purpose?
5: In an essence, perhaps not, I think, would be the true answer there, because global anti-doping is ridiculously underfunded. I think the entire annual budget for the world anti-doping agency amounts to less money than the rights that, Sky Sports or BT Sports pay for one single Premier League game. Um, So when you compare it like that, the amount of money in sports relative to the amount of sports invest in doping, it's ridiculous really to pretend that you have a clean system across the board. And I'm not just talking athletics or cycling, the traditional sports that would be associated with doping. I'm talking all sports. I'm talking football, tennis, swimming, boxing. Every sport really has a doping problem these days once there is that physical element to it. And really, while we've all been made fully aware in recent years of the problems around Russia and how that was organized and how institutionalized, I guess it was, across the world, doping is done um, in various sports, in various countries. And to be honest, in some countries, it doesn't take a year to figure out that it's being done to the same extent as it was in Russia. Um, you have countries to speak, my own expertise would be in athletics, and countries like Turkey, countries like Morocco, and um, even even Ukraine, and other countries like there's very little testing, say, out of competition with Ethiopia, and a lot of those have even been countries have been deemed non compliant with the what of gold in recent years. So there is doping everywhere, really, in every sport to an extent. It's just a matter of fluctuations in between them. And over in the Hoping is just done, I think, on a different organizational level. Instead of being run through maybe state-sponsored way, it's done more through private groups. It's done through these anti-aging specialists that we've often heard of, like in the Balco scandal, these people who set up anti-aging clinics on the surface and in private they are done to dope athletes. Um, We've had baseballers, American footballers, sprinters, some world champions in all those departments uh, attending these clinics and using steroids and it, it usually it's very rarely the testing that will catch them because the testing typically is quite far behind and it comes down to the authorities investigations and intelligence and that really the the new frontier of anti-doping. it's collaborating with these authorities to try and track illegal webs of doping and i think that will be the the way most of this will be exposed in the future
2: do, okay, just uh, fi- finally on this call because we're, we're just going to go into a break shortly. But um, uh, is the only way then to, to sort of like expose if Serena, if Serena uh, is you doing something untoward? Forget her Tues. Forget all the other like uh, panic room and missed tests and refusal to take tests and so on and so forth. Um, is it sort of a, an insider, someone inside her camp who will bring her down? Or will it be kind of like a sting operation, like we saw with Balco, or with other um, uh, big, big busts? What, 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 what is going to bring her down if she ever uh, is brought down?
5: I think, realistically, I don't think in a in a sport as I well suppose individualized as tennis that you'd. Ever really find someone from inside a camp? There's just too much at stake for someone to ever in that situation. And I suppose not specifically talking about Serena here, but just on a general sense that uh, you know, when you do have an athlete in an individual sport doping, the maximum number of people that might be, for maybe their coach, maybe their husband or wife, and maybe their agent slash or doctor, and um, that will be as far as they'd allow it to go if they have any sort of intelligence about their doping. So really, I think if an athlete of that stature was ever to be brought down, whether it be tennis or otherwise, it would come down to likely uh, an intelligence-led operation, whereby it may often not be the testing. Occasionally, of course, we've seen the situation where testing can net athletes, but really they do say that drug tests are often better labeled as intelligence tests because if you have enough money, if you have the proper science, and if you have the proper, proper nefarious doctors, you will be able to elude the drug testers as we have seen all over the world in so many sports. And I suppose with Lance Armstrong, we saw with him it was ultimately a group environment like cycling. He he annoyed the wrong teammates who eventually dished the dirt on what he was doing to authorities and then through a massive effort by anti-doping and law-enforcing authorities, he was eventually brought down. And for me, that's the only way that someone of, say, Serena size or stature could ever be exposed if indeed
2: they were cheating well let's, let's see what's going to happen right. with that Listen, right. thank you so so much for your time uh, we wish your mom a very very happy birthday today and I hope you enjoy the night and uh, thank you very very much for being on us this evening
5: thank you very much Alan it was a pleasure ok
2: so that was Cajal Dennehy uh, just got to enjoy his mom's birthday dinner uh, we're going to play out straight away to the break we'll have a quiz question right after the break we'll straight out the break with Mika and Grace Kelly
1: Were too sad. So I tried a little Freddy. Mm-hmm. I've got it into Tim. listen to the BCM radio show every Friday on Capital FM Moscow 105.3. Every Friday at 1 a.m. on Capital FM Moscow. I like the way you do your... The one and only English-speaking station in Moscow. Capital FM. Capital Sports. With Alan Moore.
2: Okay, welcome back, folks. So uh, apologies for for the quality of the line for our last call with call. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but I think he kind of got the gist of it that uh, Serena is not tested as much as other athletes, uh, not tested as much as most athletes, and uh, so kind of, she needs to kind of, uh, I can't can't say just like get on with the job and do the job except testing. Uh, Nikita, did it surprise you that she was tested so little overall compared to other athletes?
3: Well, that was my first thought as a numbers geek as you know cuz I wanted to to see the the data, the insights. I mean, and especially compared to other less profile athletes and see how uh, how that turns out because I mean, obviously uh, Serena has a big fan base and she has a big volume of followers, so she has uh, the bigger exposure to I don't know, to translate her thoughts publicly and most athletes don't get that. So there's definitely that aspect that has to be taken into account. So it, it all has to go down to the comparing her her test to tests of other athletes.
2: I mean, I mean, Nikki. I mean, we're 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 talking here about like you know with, with Serena Williams. Would you ever see her as a female role model? No. Why?
1: I because she doesn't look very much like a female. I mean, like she's oh quite
4: God. not very oh feminine.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Right, moving quickly. <laughs> I, I didn't cut you off like someone else would do. I, I didn't just give you the, yeah. You uh, just
4: gave me the faceball.
2: I, face, I just covered. I, folks, if you if you can see it in the studio, I just covered my my face with my hands. And I think you might have heard me saying, "Oh God, oh God." I mean, that's just kind of like you know when you when the plane is hurtling to the ground, you're just going, oh, "No, no, don't say that, please." We're going to get fired. No, but no. in, in fairness, like, I mean, when you look at you, a, 36, so, a 36-year-old woman, she's just had a baby, you know, she's come back and so on and suddenly uh, has done tremendously well. Now, one of the reasons, we'll discuss that in a wee bit with uh, Rennie and Shirley, is that when you're an athlete over the age of 30 and you're coming back... Um, you are going to be target tested simply because it's, it's very, you know, you have to work that a little bit harder, like we were speaking with, like the anti-aging clinics and so on, like to kind of get these HGH or the human growth hormones into you to, to, keep your, you know, performances at a high level. Um, there were questions, Nikita, in, during the World Cup, especially with the, the amounts, because again, numbers geek that you are, with the amount of kilometers covered by the Russian national team. Um, you know, but in the end, I think they were, they were outrun by other teams.
3: Uh, I don't have the exact statistics, but I think at one point, I think during the quarterfinals, uh, Roman Zobnin was actually the leading player in terms of covered kilometers on the field really? Yeah, as far as I know. So uh, I don't think I think Russia was one of the more physically prepared teams for the tournament. And I, I think statistics actually prove that. So I mean, as an aggregate, I guess things uh, the teams that went on to the later stages obviously outnumbered them. But in terms of the tournament average, I think Russia did pretty well.
2: I mean, do you think, OK, there there was a spectre or the questions of doping that how did Russia get so good so well? But if you look at the kind of balance side of it, is that they didn't have that much of the ball. They had to chase the ball most of the time and ran, ran, ran. And even, uh, I mean, it was mentioned by, you know, very well-known journalists at, at the stadium where um, that I was watching games with them. And they were saying that the Russian players are out on their feet. They can barely walk at the end of 90 minutes, like 80 minutes. They suddenly... Couldn't control the ball as well as they could early on. So, um, should we be asking questions of the Russian team? Should we say, like, hold on, that's a, that could be a bit dodgy?
3: Well, uh, I think the Russian team was under supreme surveillance from anti-doping officers, and I think there were a lot of tests conducted for the, for the whole team. So, and obviously, none of those tests turned out to be positive. So, I, I guess at this point, we, we don't have any evidence to doubt that, them. yeah that anything illegal happened or. Do you think, other. though, that in in football, that,
2: that uh, just in your own experience, and opinion, and, and from your studies, that uh, you know there there is
3: a prevalence of doping within football? I think there's a prevalence of doping in the sport in general. It, yeah. Okay, okay, that's, that's fair point. Fair point. Yeah, and actually, that there's a football economics conference in Moscow a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the keynote spe- speeches was actually about regulating doping. It was actually not reg- regulating anti-doping, but actually doping because. Uh, It's pretty much an accepted fact that doping has become an inevitable part of professional sports. And uh, so one of the keynote speeches of it was actually dedicated to, uh, first of all, accepting this and proposing a sort of a system of regulating doping among athletes rather than just closing our eyes.
2: Regulating it, so basically having a system to control what they're using
3: and... Right, right. So one of the propositions, I think it was a bit bizarre, but then again, it's not my proposition, so I'm just going (laughs) to translate it to you. So uh, like to have a diary method, so most of the athletes would just write up uh, the substances they were using uh, and make those diaries public so that every fan would see who he's supporting and what the athlete is using. And if any of the athletes actually went beyond the list that was included in the diary, they would get a life ban and no questions asked straight away yeah but apart from that if they if only the tester now with the substances that were included in the dart then nothing would happen basically is that and that would actually i guess induce more transparency to sport and a bit more acceptance especially and also i guess safeguarding some of the less insightful athletes from actually using substances and less intelligence yeah Yeah. and not actually knowing what, what they're supposed to do
2: well, I mean, that was Ryan Lochte, the American swimmer, got done for two years, where he posted pictures, I think, on his Instagram of him getting intravenous, um, you know, in, you know, transfusions. So, I mean, there, there is that. Like you said, there is that kind of question to be asked, like, you know, if it is controlled, is it better? But I mean,
3: I mean, I don't you, know. you have photos of Michael Phelps, uh, I mean, smoking marijuana, just yeah. after the Beijing Olympics. So it's, I mean, a, it's an it, accepted fact. This is it I mean
2: I mean it 's like you 've got the you know the let 's say the um, the regular ju- drug use or what you call it the uh, recreational drug use and then the other drug use so okay look, look we're, before before we, uh, we'll get back down we 'll actually get back on then to the uh, Russian Premier League after in, in the next segment, however, right now um, we 're going to go to a person all the way over in, well it 's a lot sunnier than here today in Jamaica who um, gave up everything except her, her honour and her conscience to basically stand up and fight for clean sport. She was the uh, director of uh, the Jamaican Anti-Doping uh, uh, Agency. And um, when she saw that things were not quite right, she decided, I am going to do something like this. I'm going to stand up and stand up, not for herself, not just for sport, but for the athletes themselves, like we've just been discussing here. So we have uh, a, a woman who, I have to say, you know, I, I have a major, major uh heroin crush on this lady and um she is simply described as or describes as an anti doping and human diversity in sport advocate. Miss Mrs. Rene and Shirley. How are you doing?
4: I'm fine
2: thanks. thank you so much Renee Ann for coming on the show with us. I, I I always I always make a mistake with your name and go to call you Shirley Ann because I have a cousin called Shirley Anne. So that's... so.
4: I answer to anything.
2: (laughs) Listen, my my mom thinks the same thing with me. Like, you know, she calls me whatever she wants and I have to come running, so it's okay. Um, (laughs) Renia, I'm going to just... um, First question, okay? It's a silly question, but why did you blow the whistle?
4: Um, Well, it was what you said about the, the athlete. It was a couple of things. The first one was that the Jamaican athletes, we were always, people were saying that they weren't being tested. And that was a fallacy. There was some testing. Not that they weren't tested a lot, but that we did test them somewhat. And when the numbers came out in 2012, the numbers were not right. I saw that we had tested more than the official figures were so i first of all spoke out about that and i said really we did more tests and what i thought happened was that iwf was getting more more credit for testing than jamaica was in that some of the tests that we did were being given and calculated as theirs that's number one Mm -hmm. The other thing was that I think I spoke out and said that before the Olympics in twenty twelve there had only been one out of competition test on Jamaican athletes by Jarkov. And I knew that there had not been a lot of testing by IWF as the international federation.
2: So basically and
4: that is what created a whole lot of problem because they didn't want it to be told.
2: No, rene just I'm just going to recap on that just very very quickly uh, for our listeners. So the IWF uh, is the the governing body for athletics in the world. So the International Athletics Federation, uh, Amateur Athletics right. Federation. Um, so okay, there was that kind of question whether like there, you you knew you did more tests than they were putting on, but that they were kind of like stealing your thunder or putting them into their figures to say look how good w- what we're doing. And then the second thing was with um, when. There was only one, a single out of competition test done by JADCO in the lead up to the 2012 Games, which was very successful for Jamaica, very successful for the United Kingdom as well. But that there seemed to be that kind of issue around, you know, were these athletes being tested adequately? Am I correct in saying that?
4: Well, let's put it this way if, if, a, if a national anti doping organization is not testing properly, from where I sit, the International Federation should have taken up the slack.
2: Right, that's a, good, no, that's, that's a good point.
4: Right, they did not. And so even when you look at the problem, say, with Russia in 2016, before the Rio Games, part of my issue with everything is that IWAS should have done more but they put all the all of the owners on your So right?
2: okay, yeah, because and that's not right. But, okay, fair enough. I mean, I, 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 you've been very, very fair. When Russia was getting a kicking and a deserved kicking, Renyan, I mean, there, there's no two ways about it. We've just spoken with Khaldani, and I mean, I'm the first to say that Russia needed and still needs to clean up its act further. But you were, you were, yeah. as you said just now, that the IWF should have stepped up and not just left it to Rosada to do as well and taken a bit of responsibility. Um, but with these san- the sanctions that have been placed on Russia, and so many athletes unable to compete in international competitions and so on, missing Olympics. Has it made sport a cleaner place?
4: No. And that's my problem, because a lot of it is hypocritical. Right? What was, as far as I'm concerned, yes, USADA had a problem. But IWF was part of the problem as well. And what you asked was, part of the problem was, was they were supposed to clean it up. It should have been independent. So either of them pretended that they were not part of the problem, and I'm saying they were a part of the problem.
2: Okay, so...
4: Then you bring in somebody from outside, and you impose a solution, and it's not going to stick. You have got to get the people in the system to want to change and they have to buy in and they have to develop a solution.
2: So you're talking education. You're talking education and development of the local resources. Am I
4: correct? Development of the local resources. I knew people in Rusada, and what happened was that the um, United Kingdom, the UK AD, came in, pushed all of the Russians aside. They brought in um, overseas people to test and then you 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 then expect that the system is going to change and then when they leave what's going to happen
2: it goes back to the way it was exactly no no you you're dead exactly. right i
4: mean
2: um Reniane, ju- just mo- moving on just we we just had the World Cup here huge success people happy and you know all your know, flowers for 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 the organizers um but from your experience and inside knowledge, just how corrupted is football from doping?
4: It's, it's as bad as most of, most of the sports. Look, what, what doping, one of the issues you have, you know. This is the livelihood for athletes. When you see those footballers running up and down the, the field, if they get hit, they get injured, they have to go over time, they have to go through all those games. They need to be able to recover quickly. They need to be able to um to come through injuries. They need to be faster. They need to be strong. They need to push the envelope. So what do you think happens in football? Everybody pushes the envelope. Well, in cycling, they push the envelope. And this we can track and field.
2: That's, and that's what we're just going, we're, we'll skip across all the, the the Chris Froome and so on because that's just that saga going on and on and on. I mean, I want to ask you, just very before we go into the last question, are we being a bit too hard on on Chris Froome and Dave Brailsford and Bradley Wiggins? Should we cut a bit of slack in cycling? I mean, because everyone else seems to be doing the same thing.
4: No, their 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 situation is one where they ask everybody to believe that they were clean. That they were above, they were going to be transparent, they were going to show you everything if you claim that then you don't, you don 't expect that we're going to cut you some slack
2: listen that, that, right? that's that, that's fair play I, I, you, you're actually you're talking the exact same as uh Paul Kimmage who talks the ex ex-cyclist, of course so uh, rene before before we go one, one final question about this kind of like the the Serena Williams thing she tweeted again today um and and I, I've been like, you know, reading what you, you've been responding and, and your thoughts on this on, on Twitter, so uh, two very, very small questions on this. Is she being discriminated against, and number two, even if she, not even if she is, should she be complaining about this to a higher level, that if it is discrimination, should she be fighting harder against it?:
4: No, it's not discrimination, but what she needs to understand and the public and the public needs to understand, she came back. Um, so she was off, off the circuit with, when she was um, with maternity leave. When you come back after a period of time, you, are, you have to expect that you're going to be tested. That, that happened to her before she started playing. Then she went and got injured when she was in a competition. And that is a, a flag where you have to expect that people are going to, t- to test you, because one of the things we expect is that you may you may do something to try and come back quickly. So it's not discrimination. That's a that's the kind of thing that you have to expect.
2: Listen, Rene, and
4: that would be done to athletes throughout the system.
2: Renee, Renee, thank you so much for your time. Uh, look, would you would you come back on again for a longer chat with us uh, at a later date? sure that's brilliant listen thank you so so much enjoy your day in the beautiful Caribbean uh, and uh, thank you again for, uh, I mean, again like I said like you are a heroine for, for those of us who want to try and make sport a better place for our kids and for everyone else's kids to, to enjoy thank you so much for, for your time
4: thank you very much I really enjoyed it
2: thank you okay so we're going to go straight to break uh, Nikki say we have the Scissor Sisters and
4: I don't feel like dancing
1: Capital Sports with Alan Moore. (laughs) dislike. <laughs> you can really taste the Soviet Union in larder you know, there's like a, well you can smell petrol, that's the main thing, that's the main thing that you notice, to be honest. And actually the, the larder doesn't start just by turning the key, you also have to sort of go, oh mm-hmm. there's, like, there's like an element of that, like, <laughs> yeah. oh British we people, we gave you a language, oh British For people, God's sake I wish you'd use it, <laughs> ow, ow. Thursday at 9 p.m. Capital Stand-Up with Steve Foreman on Capital FM Moscow. Are you, <laughs> you got a date line. Capital Commercial.
5: Telephone Taxi Moscow. 333 From
1: 495. Moscow's <laughs> Capital with
2: Alan Moore. Welcome back to our last segment of tonight's show. Uh, just so you really, really do understand it, this is a woman who, who, who was almost just there, Renee Shirley from Jamaica, that she had, you know, guns pointed. She was, like, threatened that if she uh, didn't stop talking about, like, the failings of the system in uh, Jamaican uh, anti-doping, that something would happen to her. But she's, she, she, she's so, so brave, so tough. And I think, um, you know, you could listen to her talk for hours and she's... Uh, genius level person. But anyway, we will move on. The Russian Premier League, of course, is back in action this weekend. It kicks off on Friday night in Novgorod with the big, big Super Cup showdown, the Olympic Super Cup showdown between uh, let's say a, a rejuvenated in many ways Lokomotiv Moscow and let's just say almost like a, a falling apart at the seams, Syska Moscow. Um, so Siska, Nikita, they are really they look like they're in a bit of trouble.
3: Well, uh, I wouldn't say they're actually tumbling apart. I think they're just going through a phase of rebuilding. I think they've already made a few transfer deals in terms of increasing their defensive side. Because after the retirements of the Brzezinski brothers and Ignashevich, um, uh, they've signed one uh, Iceland national team player as well as one Brazilian, as far as I know. So uh, they are uh, going through a phase of rebuilding. But, I mean, they have the problem with a uh, huge amount of debt being accumulated from the finance and the construction of a new stadium and they've, I guess, as far as I know they've just been able to sort of uh, straighten out their f- financial financials recently and they've had a real uh, challenge recently in the last couple of seasons of balance in between actually athletic goals and being able to conform with UEFA's financial fair play and also being loyal with the fans I guess so uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how CSK is going to be without without it's fortress of a defense that we've been, uh, I guess it was a pleasure to see those guys play.
2: Yeah, I mean, we can actually say, it's kind of like I sent to my son, that he, he saw the Portugal-Morocco game live in the stadium. And I said, you saw Cristiano Ronaldo play, so you'll tell that to your grandkids. And I mean, we, we, like, again, the Berezoski brothers, when they, when they had legs under them, they were very good. Ignaciovich in the World Cup, again, played a very, very good World Cup. And, you know, he's, he's 39 years of age now, so it's, it's time to, to leave the stage.
3: Yeah, and actually Ignacio didn't want to initially go to the to the World Cup. He actually retire- retired. Yeah, retired, retired from international from- yeah, yeah. football, as the, the Berzuskis brothers yeah. did. But I mean, Ignacio found him, found it himself to uh, give it all, give it his all at the last tournament. and uh, I think it was all worth it at the end.
2: Exactly. I mean, he he was he was very very solid. You like you know, as I say when the legs go the brain stays alive and his brain was still there like working very very well because he was getting himself into positions like you know to, to collect the ball ok so this, this Friday of course they're, they're playing Lokomotiv Lokomotiv they've just of course announced the signing of uh, Djegovic Dj- Dj- Uh so I mean that's, that, that's a fairly decent signing from a player who's played he's won the Europa League with Sevilla I believe
3: yeah that's right and he moved to PSG alongside Unai Emery who actually moved from Sevilla to PSG and he was the, the player that he wanted to to see uh, in Paris. It didn't actually go that well because I think uh, his last spell was at West Bromwich, so uh, on loan. So there is still a question whether or not he's still a top player, but definitely uh, a top signing in terms of. Uh, in contrast with Russian football, and but I'm really sorry for the commentators at this point. Yeah,
2: I mean even I'm struggling with that name as, and we're going to have to interview him this season as well, so it's going to be a bit of fun. Um, so we, uh, before we, we do anything, we will give out. We've got a very, very short period of time to to give out this quiz question. Okay, so on um, plus seven ninety five one 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 zero five three. Okay. Tell us, okay? You'll tell us, send us in the message. We're going to record them down. So we're going to record them down. Uh, who, who, who do you think will win the, uh, the Lokomotiv? So until the end of this era, who will win the Super Cup between Lokomotiv and Saskat? There's a huge, huge prize on the way for you if you get it right, and we'll announce the winners next, uh, Wednesday. So you've only got a few minutes to do it. This is a very, very special one. You've got two VIP tickets to the Spartak Moscow, uh, or sorry, say Lokomotiv Moscow, Spartak Moscow game, uh, in two weeks' time. So, Who is going to win the Super Cup between Siska and Lokomotiv? Send in your answers right now. We're going to announce the winners next Wednesday. Okay. So, um, this Super Cup, who do you reckon is going to win? Give our listeners a bit of a a boost.
3: Uh, I'm not going down that road again, but uh, (laughs) uh, I I would mostly ask the question whether or not this is going to be... uh, the continuation of the World Cup party, or is this going to be the hangover? So
2: well, it, it's done well so far in the lower leagues. There have been decent turnouts. Okay, they be giving away free
3: tickets, but there still are decent crowds coming in. Right, Alan, I'll, I'll ask you a question: Who was supposed to play in the Super Cup?
2: Well, um, well, of course that they're gone, Tosno.
3: Yeah, the
2: club that's. Not no longer exists. No. I know. Well, I mean, I, I flagged up years ago that they, they, they were just built on sand. I mean, that, that was obvious. They were, like, backed by a building company. But anyway, yeah,
3: okay, so. No, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves because we, we see a few packed stadiums uh, after the <laughs> World Cup.
2: <laughs> That's true. So listen, on Saturday at 7 o'clock, Spartak are kicking off against Orenburg uh, at home. Now, Orenburg just back up, of course, in the top flight. Uh, what do you reckon? Have Spartak, you know, have they, have they got the legs this season to get the title back?
3: Well, they, they definitely have the legs to contend for the title. And I think that that's one of the things about the top teams in the Russian Premier League is that, that, that they have the ability to have a bad season and still bounce back and do well in the second one. So and I think Spartak is one of those teams that on average is definitely a top contender for the title. But we're going to see what's going to happen. I mean, it's Russian football.
2: That's true. That's true. I think it can happen. Okay, so of course your side Dynamo. You're away on Sunday at four thirty to Arsenal in Tula. Um, they had a great end to the season last year. Will will they start off as they ended? Will they begin as they mean to go on? Again, it's
3: Russian football. You never you <laughs> never know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, come
2: on, come on. I, uh,
3: you know, m- my opinion in terms of Dynamo is going to be biased anyway, and uh, but. I guess the main thing you have to take into account uh, at the end of the season, uh, I guess, the best run of the season, uh, it was all thanks to Alexander Tashaev, who is actually now in Spartak, And we only have seen one signing from Dinamo. It was uh, the free agent signing of Jozinho, who used to play in Kassandar. <laughs> so uh, there, there is a concern. But it's signing in fairness. Uh, Yeah, there is, but uh, you have to ask yourself the question, why did uh, Krasnodar not prolong the contract to Jorzenio? So, uh, I mean, there is a level of concern if the the talent pool in the squad is there and whether or not they're actually going to be able to compete because, again, from friendly matches, I mean, during preseason, you can't make any sort of predictions.
2: Okay, so, if we look then, uh, of course, uh, Lokomotiv won't be playing, uh, this time at night, it will, uh, Siska, but, uh, um, well, on Monday, uh, Lokomotiv are away to Ufa. So, Lokomotiv, they had the bones of last year's team. I mean, pretty decent side overall. They've signed up Jefferson Farfan, Manu Fernandez is still there, Gouriermi is still there, uh, the Maranciks haven't moved, I'll say yet, because they, you know, they, they are players who can potentially go anywhere. Um, should should we expect Lokomotiv to, to at least challenge for a title this year or will they retain it?
3: Yeah, I think uh, the strategic move for them was to keep their key players from the title winning season and they've bil- been able to build up on that with a few extra signings as well and that gives you an understanding that first of all the club is doing pretty much well financially because they won't be able to go on, on a spending spree if they're going to compete in Europe which they are so uh, I guess there's a Things are good at a balance sheet, probably, and that makes, again, financially, Lokomotiv one of the top containers for the title.
2: And, of course, they've just signed up Under Armour as their uh, kit sponsor, which is like a, a groundbreaking move in Russia. With.
3: A, a, a genuine global. I think it's actually a groundbreaking move in Europe in general because Under Armour doesn't have a, a lot of kid sponsorships. No, I think uh, as well. Tottenham Hotspur. I think is one Well, oh, they used to yeah. have yeah, 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 but right now Under Armour is not that well, well represented. No, no, place. I mean in
2: in America, of course, American football. Yeah, they're their Top brand, uh, obviously. Huge, huge. Um, okay, again, you've got five minutes to get that that uh, your 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 prediction in. So plus seven ninety five one 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 zero five three. So who's going to win this Friday's Super Cup? Will it be Locomotive or Sisca? So just answer Locomotive or Siska and uh you will be in to draw the windows to uh VIP tickets. Uh, okay, so finally looking at the the last of the Moscow teams to uh kick off on Tuesday at seven o'clock uh in Samara in that new, new beautiful big big uh, cosmic stadium. Uh they there playing Kryosovitov. Um so we, we discussed it like Sure, Cescara are perennially kind of challenging. Yo, they're they're never out of the top three, top four. So will it be another season at like that for them? Or do you think they might rebuild a little bit this year?
3: Like I said, they are going to be rebuilding. But whether or not that's going to affect the the athletic side of the team that still remain, remains to be seen. Uh, I think Gancho has proven that, that he's able to produce the results even when... Uh, like his squad is below par on paper, so, I mean, he's done it with Baté in the Champions League, he, he's done it with CSK before when, when the, they had a lack of transfers. So, uh, I think, uh, first of all, the, the coaching personnel is top-notch, so that, I think that definitely makes CSKA a big contender as well.
2: Yeah, contract is a class act. Uh, just quickly looking at Zenit up, up north there, I mean, they've got Semak now, sort of the big hero, back to, to look after the team. They've had some signings, and, you know, they they look, you know, they always look like a, a team that's going to challenge for the title, but will they kind of like, kind of be like a bit of a jigsaw, just fall apart at the last second, or, or you know, should we expect they need to, to win the league this year? That's what they want. That's what they need.
3: Well, if you're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, this this should be the season that they, they, they do well, because, I mean... oh,
2: How so? How so, statistically?
3: Well, because, I mean, they've got probably the biggest budget in the league, and... Uh, statistically, there, there is a correlation and there's actually a caus- causality between uh, financial possibilities, and financial capabilities and your uh, capability of actually winning games and winning tournaments. And since the, they haven't been able to do that in the last two or three seasons, this, sh- this should be one of the seasons. Well, if not this one, then the next one. Oh, well, then, well <laughs> it's yeah, always next year. Well, yeah. I mean, statistically, they have a better chance than they did last year.
2: Okay, uh, just before before we we go on to, to the next uh, sort of little uh, uh, preview, um, so uh, Nikki, we have some answers in already. So who? Yeah, are we
4: have a few answers.
2: So our listeners are going for
4: Lokmativ.
2: Everyone so far is Lokmativ. Yeah. Okay, so everyone's locomotive. Okay, so I'm I'm very much news from this. I know that we'll be announcing a very very big deal with Lokmativ very soon between Locomotive and Capital FM, but. I'll be very, very quiet. So, on to Europe, very, very quickly. So, Spartak Moscow in the Champions League, they are going to be playing the winner of Asna Mithida, uh not Thailand, but Midland from, uh, from uh, Denmark. Um, is it a good draw for Spartak? Should, should we expect them to get to the group stages?
3: Well, well, on paper, they should, but Spartak has a rough history in terms of meeting uh, underdog teams in Europe, and I think they, they have a bad record in, in that point, so I think uh, there's a, a lot a bigger mental aspect to the game as well, so I think they have to prepare for that. Quickly, on the Champions League
2: matches right now, so, Batti Borosov are playing uh, HJK from Helsinki, it's 0-0, it's this is the first second course, 90 minutes with 7 minutes added on, for it, if whatever. Uh, Ludograd's Razgred, uh, they are 0-0 against videoton of Hungary, Kukese. Are nil nil with Karabakh, of course, who had some decent results last year in the Champions League. Amsterdam IX they have kicked off. They are one 0 up. Twenty-four minutes gone that game against Storm Graz They are one 0 up. And Celtic uh, that, that should have kicked off as well. Um, so they've kicked off against Rosenborg of Trondheim in Norway. Very very quickly finding on to the uh, Europa League. So Ufa Ufa making their debut, of course, in the uh, in in Europe. Decent draw for them with Domijale from Slovenia.
3: Mm, On paper, it is, but I'm not actually familiar familiar with Slovenian football. I mean,
2: no, are quite good, but I mean, it's it's quite narrow. But they've got lots of good. Most of their best players play outside the country, but they're quite a decent, like well, well marshaled side, I would say. Kind of like a bit of a Bate Borisov. Right. Is the population bigger than in Ufa? I think the, the population of Ufa is probably as big as Slovenia. So, okay. Okay, we'll move on very, very quickly. And, of course, finally, Zenit. Zenit will be playing the winner of, as you say, of match 25, which will be either uh, Streda from uh, Streda from Slovakia or Dino Minsk. So, again, Zenit should be expecting to get into the group stage of the, the Europa League.
3: Yeah, again, if you compare the size in terms of transfer values, I mean, there should be no question as decrees going further, but uh Zenita also has uh, has a tendency to give out a few. Uh, shock results so we'll wait and see I guess but on paper like I said Zenit should go through
2: okay listen uh, Nikita Salkan thank you very much for joining us this evening and thank for, you for having for, me for you,
3: you have been wonderful as always <laughs> thank you for, for
2: statistical analysis uh, Nikki. Still, still people are backing Lokomotiv to win on Friday yes
1: that's right
2: okay so on Friday night of course that game kicks off we didn't even get to discuss the new logo symbol that just looks like I don't know if 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 Tim, my son did it. Well, if you're talking
3: about it, then it's not that bad. Exactly.
2: Okay, so look, 9.30 kickoff, of course, uh, Lokomotiv Siska on Friday nights in Nizhny Novgorod. So we are going to go away. We're going to go out into the uh, hopefully not rainy night, but a dark night here in Moscow, out of the uh, Navarajan Tower here in Moscow City. And we will leave you with a song that Roy Keane called one of the great songs of all time. It's from a group from his own hometown. They're called the Walters. And folks, we'll talk to you next week at the same time. Enjoy your sports and uh, this is the Franco Walters and After All
1: Capital Sports with Alan Moore